0: According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent. Be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me if you would. Tell you what, we, um, we launched this study out of Philippians 1. We don't have to necessarily turn there again. Let's, um, let's just start with Luke chapter 9 where we left off on Sunday. I won't take 20 minutes to review uh, what we did on Sunday. We will take a few minutes for questions and answers though, so we'll start with that. Before we do anything, remember that God is spirit, He must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Let's take a moment for silent prayer to make sure each one of us are filled with God the Holy Spirit and that we are humble to receive the word implanted. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do thank You for the truth of Your Word and the blessing we have tonight to assemble together. We call upon Your faithfulness, Father, to hedge us about and protect us. Uh, we have had increased uh, attacks and different things. A church was shot up on Sunday, and uh, these are just matters. We, uh, we don't get freaked out about them, but we do pray about them and we give it to You and call upon Your faithfulness. So, Father, uh, we're in Your hands for Your good pleasure uh, to make Your will known, Father. And we ask for Your blessing on our study, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, and we thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, we have a microphone ready to go, and so uh, we'll take a few questions. I know I didn't get to everybody's last week, and so uh, we want to get to those this week. I still have a pending question, it's like from weeks ago on the kingdom of God, but uh, we'll let that go until the person who asked that question is here. Oh, new material tonight. We'll start right there on the left wing uh
1: the verse is hold on ezekiel thirty
0: four twenty three and twenty four
1: okay and it refers to David being the shepherd in the millennium I believe is he gonna be resurrected?
0: Yes. A resurrected historical David, son of Jesse, and he's called a prince. He's called a servant, and he's called a prince among them. And so we have the uh, shepherd David, we have the king David, and we have uh, prince David that are all characters in the book of of Ezekiel. I believe shepherd David, I, I think King David is Jesus, the greater son of David, and David the prince is the historical David, son of Jesse, father of Solomon, who is resurrected. By the way, Solomon's going to be resurrected. All of the believing Jewish kings are going to be resurrected for the millennial kingdom.
1: They'll they'll have human bodies.
0: They'll have resurrected bodies.
1: Resurrected bodies, not Uh human bodies. I mean, they're they're not going to be resuscitated. I get those two words
0: mixed up. Okay. Okay. All right, good question. All right, other questions tonight? Especially uh, given what we were studying on Sunday with the angels and the the word spoken through angels and the difficulties of eternity past and some of those other things. I had kind of thought there might be some aspects there. Yes, ma'am.
1: I have uh, two more questions. First of all, I have the verse, and I didn't write down what book it was in.
0: Uh-huh. So it's uh,
1: the verses chapter three, <laughs> verses seven through nine. Okay, and it was about the period of preparation for building the temple foundation. Okay, for the work did not begin till the second month of the second year after their arrival, which was uh, May to June of five thirty six BC. Okay, so when did the seventy sabbaths? start. Was it from that point when it was completed or when it was started? I'm, a little, I'm fuzzy on the start and the end of the 70
0: Sabbaths. The 70 Sabbaths actually um, were, you're talking about Israel was sent into their captivity because they had not been faithful in Sabbath observance. Uh, for the years prior to 586 B.C., prior to Nebuchadnezzar's destruction of Jerusalem. And so between David and Zedekiah then, you had some good kings, some bad kings, and some horrible kings. Uh, they even they got so uh, negligent in temple operations and, and so forth, they even lost the law for a while until Josiah's time period, and then they found it again. So um, through the course of all that history then there were Sabbath observances that they weren't observing. You know every seventh year was supposed to be a year of of rest and they weren't observing those. And so uh, the consequences then was the 70 years of captivity. That they were the land was going to be given all the Sabbath rest all at once for a 70 year time frame. uh, You know from 586 to 516 essentially. And so while, while the captives were all there in Babylon and before they returned from Persia then, uh, that was the Lord giving them their, their the, giving the land, the rest that they had not received previously. What this says 536. that, that uh, what, what, The this, second month of the second year after their arrival was of June 536. And I had thought it was and this, and I No. It was... No, the, the, the temple was destroyed in 586. Ah, Well then uh, there's a chart that uh, you ought to get in the Bible knowledge commentary on the three returns from the captivity because um, there were three waves of exile in 605 and 597 and 586 and then there were three waves of returning uh, under Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. And so whichever set of those three you're looking at you've got a 70 year gap or ballpark of seventy years uh, from the departure to the returning, whichever set you're looking at, whatever set you want to consider to be the official set, and so because they all work, they're all a minimum of seventy years, and some slightly more. So uh, you can do that. You'll find that in the Bible Knowledge Commentary on, and if you can't, shoot me an email, and I'll I'll uh, tell you exactly where it is. I'm guessing it's Ezra. I'm guessing Ezra three seven. That's my guess. Yeah okay yeah nehemiah didn't look uh did not look hopeful so i tried ezra next all right i forgot when i'm in church i have to pump up the text size on that all right next question yes sir uh
2: my question is about uh prophecy in general um uh I looked at uh, Agabus in Acts 11 when he's prophesying about the famine that is to take place. The word is used as prophecy. Mm-hmm. And then if you compare that with 1 Corinthians 14, the definition is slightly different in the sense that um, prophecy is uh, – it's something about exhortation, consolation, and these three things that are mentioned there. Is the word used in both the same and just two different meanings of it in both of the occurrences or –
0: yes yes it 's the same word uh, in greek it 's the same word in Hebrew. It actually comes out of a Hebrew usage from the Old Testament that a prophet uh, not only you know predicted future events but also spoke forth uh, the things of the Lord and so whereas a, a priest really ministered on behalf of the people towards God, the prophet actually referenced God and ministered to the people and so um that's kind of the basic function of a prophet, not only predicting the future but actually being a thus saith the Lord you know, and delivering those kind of messages. So Agabus is a great example because he did predict the future with respect to the coming famine, but then he also gave prophecies uh, about uh, Paul and his captivity and told him not to go to Jerusalem or he would be bound and things of that nature. Agabus is a great, uh, a great character. Now there is a difference between an Old Testament Jewish prophet and a New Testament church prophet. Because uh, in the Old Testament, the Jewish prophet was kind of the pinnacle. There was nobody over them, uh, not even the king. You know, David had to an answer to to Samuel and to Nathan and other prophets. Any king was subject to a prophet. Uh, but in the church, the prophets take se- uh, second place to the apostles, and it's consistently apostles and prophets as the the ministries that are that are mentioned in that order. And the prophets become the, uh, become the assistants to the apostles in the in the church age. So that's that's a big difference between Old Testament and New Testament.
2: So then if somebody in the, in the church age says, um, I heard the Lord speak and uh, he prophesied and he's sort of predicting the future, or at least acting like he's predicting the future, would that be considered wrong? Is that uh, today considered
0: it wrong? would be, yes. Any time after uh, the completion of the canon it would be. Because first of all, there's no more, there's no more apostles. And so a prophet today could not be serving an apostle, and then the canon is closed. And First Corinthians fourteen tells us then that prophecy will be done away, that tongues will cease, knowledge will be done away, and that's the that's the cessation of the temporary spiritual gifts there in First Corinthians. Okay. Actually,
2: uh, the other question is um, uh-huh. is this verse in Isaiah nine about uh, eternal Father about Wonderful Counselor, uh-huh. God, and then there is Eternal Father um, when there's reference to Jesus Christ, uh-huh. um, who is not the Father in that. So is it an improper translation there? That's oh, it's a perfect translation. It is. It, it is. a perfect tra- Yeah. Oh.
0: And it's one that people don't like, but uh, I love it. I think it's great. So a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, right? This is Isaiah 9-6. Are you familiar with this passage? I hope everybody's familiar with this passage. This is this is so beautiful because there's two things happening. Obviously, a, a child is born. That's the baby in the manger. But then also a son is given because this God the Son preceded, you know, the universe, and a son is given as well as a child being born. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And by the way, he did not take that authority in his first advent. That's still waiting second advent. He did not. He disclaimed the authority that some of his disciples were trying to push on him. Um, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Some people put a comma in there, in which case they end up with a fifth name. Um, I prefer not to have a comma in there. I don't think the Hebrew supports that. Um, Although it's there's not such a thing as Hebrew punctuation really at that point. But anyway, I think wonderful counselor is a better rendition than mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. And that's because each of these four titles has a noun with a modifier, you know, an adjective that defines it. So in this case the counselor is wonderful, the God is mighty, the father is eternal, and uh, the prince is is peace. So and and that preaches well until you get to the eternal father part, right? Because then we just kind of stumble and trip and, and, and Christians have through the centuries now. Uh what do we do with Jesus Christ as the eternal father? Because he's not the father, he's the son. All right. And that bothers a lot of people. Okay? And still to this day, Jesus is is our brother. We're the bride of Christ. There's no fatherhood yet in, in the church age, there's no father role yet for Jesus Christ. And yet this prophecy clearly says there will be and it goes on to say there will be no end to the increase of His government or of peace on the throne of David and over His kingdom. And so the kingdom of God which was another one of our questions, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is going to be exercised on this earth via the throne of David, via the Jewish kingdom, the theocracy, the human theocracy that we have uh, in the, the Jewish nation. Now as far as eternal father is concerned, when does Jesus become a father? Okay, and that's, that's, uh, well, when does any man become a father? You know, don't you, it's, I recommend that, that you first get a bride, okay? <laughs> that's biblical and it's also, uh, correct in the plan of God. And so, presently, the father is preparing a bride for his son, and that's what the church age is all about. And then once the bride is complete, then comes the wedding and the wedding supper. And again, we, we prefer the wedding precedes the childbirth. And the, the process there, okay? And this is all in Scripture using this, uh, the, the metaphor to, to teach these principles. And so um, he's married to his bride, we have the wedding supper, and then fatherhood, okay? And this is a fulfillment of this prophecy, it's a fulfillment of this promise. Jesus has to have a father function, right? And so I like to, to bring in some other passages as well, including John 5, 19, Uh, The son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the father will show him greater works than these so that you may marvel. And so I, I look at that and I view the all things. The father, if the father truly shows the son all things, that must include how to be a father. All right. If the Father doesn't show the Son how to do the role of God the Father, then the Father's not showing the Son all things. Does that make sense? And so, um, this is a part of what Jesus is preparing to do, what he will do after the millennium, what he will do in the fullness of times, is he will serve as the everlasting Father. So, as part of the demonstrations, part of learning the all things, uh, he's not going to be a Father until he has a bride, and that's what the rapture is about and what the millennial kingdom is in the wedding supper. And then following the millennium comes the, the fullness of time in the new heavens and on the new earth. I think in Revelation 21 then we have the statement uh, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and first earth passed away. There was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And that's deliberately using that kind of language to connect it with us, to connect it with the church as our residents here um, in uh, in this new uh, heavens and new earth and you'll notice um, this is when he wipes away every tear there's no longer mourning crying or pain there's no longer any death the first things have passed away when you get to verse seven he who overcomes will inherit these and by the way this is jesus christ speaking we ought to have words of christ in red here right he said to me it is finished i am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things. I will be his God and he will be my son. Right there in Revelation 21.7 we have Jesus Christ promising the father role towards these children in the new heavens and on the new earth. See? And so understand that today when somebody gets saved today if you lead somebody to Christ tonight they're going to become a child of God the Father. They're going to be your brother, they're going to be your sister, we're all children of God the Father today in the church age because we're brethren with Christ. But in the fullness of time for a thousand generations on the new earth those people, those saints, the the fullness of time saints uh, are not going to be sons of the Father as you and I are they're going to be sons of Christ as Jesus Christ will finally step into that role and He's going to assume all of the Father's functions for those thousand generations. So that's, a, that's kind of a fun thing to think about. And thank you for asking that, because I'm preparing a paper now. I'm going to speak on that in uh, next March at the Schaefer uh, Seminary Conference. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Yes, ma'am? Follow up to the, uh, a follow-up to that? Uh-huh.
1: So we are going to be both the bride of Christ and the son?
0: No, 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 not us. These are, these are the, the thousand generations after the millennium that become sons of Christ. You and I are sons and daughters of God the Father.
1: Verse 7, it refers to the, the... after
0: the millennium. Yes. Okay. Thank this you. is Revelation 21 after the millennium. This is in the new heavens and on the new earth. That's right. Excellent. Okay. We have another question over here and a question in the back row. This is good. We've been overdue for this. Let's go to Kathy and then Mary Ellen after that. How about that?
3: Okay there will be Gentiles who will be believers and Jews who will be believers in that thousand generations. Yes. Will the Gentiles also be considered sons of Christ?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, they will. Okay. Gentiles and Jews will both be sons of Christ in the, in the fullness of time.
4: I didn't quite understand what you had said uh-huh. about us being... Um, the bride of Christ and and got Jesus being our Father. Would you explain that again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because About you and, and I. The fullness of times.
0: Sure. No, no, yeah. This is because you and I right now we're saved in the church age, okay? And um, we are saved. Let me get my picture up here. In. Um, in the church age, okay? And whether it was in 1973 or it was in 1950 or whenever it was, I don't know when you became a believer, but it was after 33 A.D. It was it was in the church age, and it's before the rapture, after Pentecost and before the rapture. So you and I are here in the church, and everybody that's saved in the church is a part of the Bride of Christ. And so uh, we are sons of God the Father by faith in Christ. We become born again. We're born from above. And so... This is, uh, this is really the big difference. Now, Moses and Daniel and David and these Old Testament believers, they were, they were born again. They became sons of God through faith in the coming Messiah, but they are not bride of Christ. That's a big difference, okay? Same thing with the Gentiles back here, Noah and, and Adam and, and Seth and Enoch and all those guys, they were sons of God when they became saved, but not bride of Christ, Bride of Christ is limited only to us here in the church.
4: Yeah, I got that. When we're when we all get to heaven, the end of times. Okay, the beginning of the
0: the new. Right. World. Well, don't get don't don't get that far ahead yet, because see, we're going to heaven at the rapture, but then there's still going to be mortal humanity on earth.
4: Yeah, I understand that. But okay. what what are we going to be called, sons, what whatever?
0: Bride when of we, Christ. You and I are the all bride of Christ. We are in heaven, uh-huh. and
4: Jesus is ruling. You know, and he. He becomes God, and
0: yeah, he comes down to Earth on the white horse, and we follow him, and we conquer at Armageddon, and the we win against Antichrist and Satan, and then and then he's he reigns in his millennial kingdom on this Earth for a thousand years. He's reigning, and
4: yeah, I understand that. But when we get we all get to heaven after he after he makes a new heaven, a new the the new heaven and the new earth, Uh then how are we all? separated or integrated.
0: Okay. So at the end of the millennium, then we have the present heavens and earth are destroyed, right? Right. Fire just destroys the entire universe. And there's no more matter. In fact, in Revelation 20, it says that heaven and earth from his presence, heaven and earth fled away. I'm so glad we're getting into this tonight. That uh, heaven and earth flee away I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. No place was found for them. And then I saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne. Okay, Standing when there's no universe to stand in. Okay, But they're standing before his throne. And uh, this is when Satan and all the fallen angels and all the unbelievers are cast in the lake of fire forever because they're not found in the book of life. Okay, And that's how that's how chapter 20 ends. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he will be thrown into the lake of fire. Then we have the new heavens and the new earth. Okay? I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth passed away, there was no longer any sea. Now this is what you're asking about. Right? So, we now have new heavens and we have a new earth. Okay? And where is everybody going at that point? That's a marvelous question. Okay? Because, see, we have... We have, who all's going to be there? We're going to have um, all the Gentiles are going to be resurrected and they're going to be there. Job knew that he was going to be there. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives and at the end I will, live, I will stand upon this earth. So Job had that promise of resurrection. All the Gentiles, uh, believing Gentiles, are going to be resurrected. The believing Jews are going to be resurrected. David, we talked about. David is going to be resurrected. Moses, Daniel, Noah, all those guys. And, of course, Bride of Christ. We get our resurrection bodies at the rapture. So now here's the thing. With all of us in our resurrection bodies, we are glorified and we are non-procreative. We are not having babies. We are not being married. We are in our eternal glorified bodies in the resurrection body, okay? But now here's the, here's the key. Because you got a bunch of guys, some, some mortal humans here that are still alive at the end of the millennium. They're still in their mortal bodies. They're still humanly mortal procreative bodies, all right? What happens to them? when they're ushered into the new heavens and the new earth. And that's the, the, uh, the biggest issue that I think people struggle with is the fact that they are not glorified, they are not uh, resurrected. All right, they will, They're generation zero. They're going to start having babies on the new earth. They're going to put forth generation number one. The, the survivors of the millennium. The survivors of the millennium. Those that are still alive at the end of the millennium. All right? They get to procreate on the new earth and produce generation number one. So, how does that happen then? Right? Because there's no more sin, there's no more death. The first things have passed away. And so, they don't get resurrected, they don't get glorified, they're not given resurrected bodies. But what they are given is a complete removal of sin out of their flesh. They get restored. You think about it as Adam and Eve and their sinless bodies right? They get brought back into a Garden of Eden type of, of uh, innocence, into a Garden of Eden sinlessness, but procreating, mortal, which is why they need the tree of life on the new earth, which is why they need the leaves of the tree of life for the health of the nations. And so uh, this, is, this, is a, this is a deep study, and that's why I'm hoping to, that's why I'll be speaking on this in, in, in the conference next March. Because um, these guys that are alive here at the end of the millennium, they—they're the ones that cross over into the new earth and start procreating generation number one, out of the thousand generations that will that will fill that new earth. Did that kind of blow your mind? The
4: new earth you're talking about, which we think as heaven, when we die and get to heaven. No. The end of time. Uh huh. You're talking about the very end of time.
0: No, all of this precedes the very end oh, of time. Oh, yeah,
4: I understand all that. I'm saying, okay. I, I guess I'm not clear. How are we categorized when all of us get to heaven with God, okay? Uh-huh. Everybody, you know, Satan's gone, the world's over. I mean, everything's done with, and we're in heaven for eternity. How okay. are we categorized then as children of God? Brothers and sisters, bride of Christ,
0: bride of Christ. We are
4: all going to be the bride of Christ.
0: You will be. I will be. Everybody in this room will be because we're church age believers. But but that's that's our role. We are the eternal bride of Christ. That makes sense. I I I don't know how how to explain that differently or, or better or or. We are the Bride of Christ, and we will always be the Bride of Christ. We will never stop being the Bride of Christ.
4: Believers, in general, you mean.
0: Church-age believers that, that are, uh, church-age believers that are, that are saved after Pentecost and before the rapture. You and me. I'm not talking about David or Moses.
4: Yeah, I understand that. But okay. after all that, you know, when everything is done and finished, you know.
0: There, well, there's no after. I mean, there's eternity after. That's what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. Right. How are we going to
4: be categorized? Bride of Christ. Everybody will be at the Bride of Christ. No,
0: you and me. The church will be the Bride of Christ. Moses will never be Bride of Christ. David will never be Bride of Christ. Millennial saints will be millennial saints. (laughs) Sons of God. They're all sons of God when you get saved. Am I not understanding the question? Is this... I just feel like I'm... Okay. Can I say something? Yeah, please. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. You did actually say it. Um, Believers uh, in the new heavens and new earth are are not; they are sons of God of of they are considered sons of Jesus Christ. Yes, sons uh, and daughters of Jesus Christ. Correct. And we live wherever Christ is; we're with Him forever. He's, Thus, we shall always be with the Lord. So heaven is on earth at that time too. I mean heaven. I mean we're on the new heaven, new earth. Uh, I'm just trying to Okay, if there's if there's an and statement then you've got different things, right? Okay. Heaven and earth. Heaven is not earth. You know, men and women, men are not women. There's we have an and statement. And so with there's new heavens and a new earth which is different than the new heavens. And so and so I guess I'm just not understanding the question. Omega. Okay.
1: She's talking about Omega. Uh-huh. And I've had this question, me and Dan talked about it for a long time too, because I was kind of confused. When we are in Omega, what it's got to be so different than the new heavens and new earth, because it is. Jesus hands it all back to the Father, right? Am I correct in that? At Omega? First Corinthians
0: fifteen twenty four says that he delivers the kingdom yeah. to the Father that God may be all in all. And but then, that doesn't end the new heavens. It does not end the new earth. Okay. The new heavens and the new earth are eternal.
1: Okay. That's maybe I don't know. I don't want to speak for you, but that might be what she's asking: okay. is what do we ha- what do we have in Omega for all eternity? And you're saying it doesn't end. It never ends. The new heavens and new earth stay, and right. what we are labeled as stays. Right. Okay.
0: All right. We we've got a front row. Question or comment or complaint?
1: Or... I think part of the confusion may be that a lot of Christians think that when we die we go to heaven. Well, we do, but heaven's not where we're going to spend eternity. We're going to
0: Christ's kingdom is going to be on earth for eternity, right? Okay, my mother's in heaven right now.
1: Yeah, but as you going And gonna...
0: I'm going into heaven yeah, tonight but, also. Hopefully.
1: But when Christ comes back, we come back with him, right? Yes, we
0: do. To this earth. Yes. Which doesn't last forever. This earth right. will be destroyed. Right. Right.
1: But then Christ will be in the new earth, And then right?
0: the new heavens and the new earth, correct. And the heavenly Jerusalem. His throne will actually be in the heavenly Jerusalem. Okay. On the new, on the new earth, right? Okay, so... Or above... And this. that's
1: where we'll be, too.
0: Thus we shall always be with the Lord, yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Let's go over here then. This is good. I'm glad we're doing this tonight. Let's just let's give uh, Georgiana our next question. Okay, one one at a time, please. I can't hear. You.
5: Um okay, so I'm just trying to straighten this out myself. The church age believers, okay, when they die they go to heaven. Yes. Right. Uh huh. But then they're resurrected later. Is that right?
0: Correct. The dead in Christ rise first. Correct. Okay.
5: Uh So do they come back down? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So now just out of curiosity. So I got that part right. Okay. The the two sections before the church, Uh like where Moses and David and everybody. Right. What happens to them?
0: You know, when Lazarus died, he didn't go to heaven, did he? He went to Abraham's bosom. Okay. Across the great gulf. The, The rich man went to torments. Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. Okay. See, we get so trapped into thinking I want to go to heaven when I die. That is, that is, that's us today. But that's not always been the case. Okay, uh, Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. David, uh, he said he was buried and he went to rest with his fathers. And Abraham was in Abraham's bosom. Okay, um, it's only after the resurrection of Christ when he was ascended and seated at the Father's right hand. Only then does paradise get translated to heaven, and only then do the dead in Christ get to go to heaven. Because we're a heavenly people. We're a heavenly people. And, and Old Testament saints, they, uh, Job Job wasn't dreaming about heaven. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last I will take my stand upon the earth and I will see him, him whom my eyes will see and not another. And so Old Testament saints have a future to look forward to on the new earth. All right, Not necessarily in heaven. I, I'm guessing they can visit and vacation but they're not going to be <laughs> residents of heaven. You and I have a heavenly citizenship.
5: Okay, so let me get it right. So they are in heaven now. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. Now, pan out a little bit. Then there's one other confusion I have all the way out. Eternity past. Uh-huh. Explain that to me.
0: That's before time. That's before anything. Just That's
5: before time. God yes. existed then.
0: All there is is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, correct. Okay. Yep. Okay. All right. Let's go to the background then. Let's give Jim a question in the background. When we get the new heaven and new earth, okay, God will be up in heaven. Jesus will be down here in the new earth, right? Uh-huh. He will, God will not be down here, but Jesus will be down here. Is that Right. In terms of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. But the, the the monopresent body of Jesus Christ, resurrected body of glory of Jesus Christ, will be on the new earth, yes. But then the God himself will be up in heaven. God the Father. The Father, yeah. Yes. Okay. And God the Holy Spirit. In heaven as well as everywhere else in their omnipresence. All right, Kathy. <laughs> I'm going to tell Chris he picked a good night not to be here. We'll keep... Uh, Keep Lewis huffing and puffing. All right. No, this is great, though. I, we're overdue for this, and I want to make sure we're clear on this.
3: Okay. Come. The new heavens and the new earth. Uh huh. The new Jerusalem is fifteen hundred miles by fifteen hundred miles by fifteen hundred miles. Yes. This is one big city. Yes. But then. Below the new, beneath the new Jerusalem is the new earth. And interestingly enough, the Bible does not give us the dimensions. But it says that David will have an eternal kingdom. And I, my understanding or misunderstanding is during the um, Alpha to come will be up there, down here on the New Earth, which will be much nicer than this one. Um, you've got. We will still have Israel occupying all the area that God promised, so that'll be reconstructed. There'll be rivers, and there will still be nations on the New Earth, which translates into a huge administrative government. (laughs) Yes, there will
0: be nations on the new earth. The Jewish nation and all the Gentile nations on the new earth. The difference is in the millennium, each of those Gentile nations will have kings that will have to come and worship Jesus Christ. In the new earth, Jesus will be their king. He'll be the king of every nation on on the new earth. And so that's a big difference. There'll be no rebellion, no sin, no death on the new earth. And so that's a big difference. The new earth does not have a sea. Presently, the boundaries of, of, of Israel include the Western Sea. Well, if there's no more sea, what happened to your boundary? What's the new boundary of, of the nation of Israel going to be like on the new earth? We don't know. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't say. Uh, You're right about the dimensions on that city. And um, In fact, I, I found a picture on this just the other day. That I can share. Or maybe I can't. Yes, I can. Maybe I can't. Yes, I can. See, I outsmarted myself. All right. That is to scale. That is uh, 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. Also, by fifteen hundred miles high, by the way, either as a cube or a pyramid or uh, a sphere in orbit, uh, but that's that's a large city, okay? You know, compared to the dimensions of the United States today on this Earth, okay? So that's uh, that's a pretty whopping city for the Bride of Christ, and that's uh, what we have to look forward to on the New Earth.
3: I kind of suspect there's going to be some kind of way for God to water the Earth too. If, there's no rain, if there 's no right there'
0: and by the way, the presence of Jesus Christ provides the light. they 'll no longer need the light of the sun or the moon because this city will be the light source for the the mortals down below and the thousand <laughs> generations that are walking the earth down below that 's right, so anyway, this has all been good, and I appreciate this. Any other questions luke we 've got to make sure we 're clear on all these things so
2: That's more surface area than the Bible belt currently is.
0: (laughs) Yes, it will be a brand new Bible belt. That's right.
2: A question from Psalm 83.
0: Psalm 83? Okay.
2: Um, Not real sure. Is this referring to uh, contemporary events or prophetic or both? Can you walk us through it?
0: Yeah, I believe it's uh it's contemporary in the experience of uh Asaph and the experience of the Old Testament but then also prophetic with respect to uh the anticipated experience for uh for Jesus Christ and his millennial kingdom. I think um Psalm 83, Psalm 82, Psalm 89, a lot of these that are that are uh, especially the Davidic psalms, this one's not Davidic but uh, many of these that reflect the experiences they were going through in their lifetime, but also prophetically looked forward. So, uh, was there a particular verse or uh, the whole thing? Uh,
2: I guess it looks specifically at uh, two through nine, when it lists the different nations.
0: Yeah, and and so you know this is the experience of. Of Asaph in his generation, but also in the sense of what I think uh, Bill Salas wrote in his book on Israelistine is looking forward prophetically to an attack on the Jewish people prior to the Gog Magog attack of Ezekiel 38. And so when it talks about shrewd plans, those that hate the Jewish people, they conspire against uh, your treasured ones, uh, they want to wipe them out as a nation. So it's an attempt to exterminate the Jewish people. Good luck with that. You know, everyone that's tried, God destroys them. And uh, then when it talks about these nations, the tents of Edom, the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, to give those modern labels, it would be be the Muslims today. It would be the Palestinians. It would be uh, Lebanon. It would be kind of a near circle around Israel today. And uh, specifically, all these nations are the ones that are missing in Ezekiel 38. So when the Gog-Magog attack comes, it either passes through these regions or these regions aren't there anymore, uh, that these regions are, are now Jewish territory by the time you get to uh, Ezekiel 38. Does that make sense? And, and that's, that's the Bill Salas approach. And it's not being really embraced. In fact, when I talked to Robbie Dean about it, he was very dismissive when I talked to Tommy Ice about it. In fact, Tommy engaged in a, in a YouTube debate, you can find it, uh, with Bill Salas. And Tommy took a, an opposing view to Salas's conclusions, and I was saddened because Tommy's usually a better debater than that. I thought I thought Tommy, um, I thought he had some some flaws in his logic, and I was disappointed in in how he was defending his position. Okay, all righty, this is outstanding. I'm going to keep you guys here till midnight. You know that, right? This is uh... so. The, the blessings of, of, of eschatology, when we're studying the things to come, I, I, I love the fact that the things that haven't happened yet are history, same as the things that already have happened. Okay, it's just, we're, we're the time creatures, right? We're the ones that kind of think back to the past and Julius Caesar and Alexander the Great and all that and George Washington. That's all history to us because it's past. And then you know, we can name all the presidents from Washington to Trump, and we can't tell you who the next president is going to be, but God can. Because everything that for us is future is also history in God's sovereign plan. And so everything from the Alpha moment to the Omega moment is all already recorded in the divine decrees, and God has us all planned out. And so, in fact, I'm reading a book now, George Soltow, who wrote Past, Present, Future, and the fact that it's scripture that uh, is, is already fulfilled, Scripture that's being fulfilled, and the Scripture that's not yet being fulfilled, but it will be because everything is going to be fulfilled as God said that it would be. And so it's a, it's a neat approach to how he, he deals with that. And so you know it's, it's, I think it's useful for us to think about the resurrection because this life is not all there is. This life is so short. We're going to live 70 years, 80 years, 100 years, whatever we're going to live on this earth. And then we're going to be resurrected into eternity. And then, you know, then what do we do? Are we just floating on a cloud, playing a harp, bored out of our skulls, or what are we doing? Okay. And and the scripture gives us the clue. As the bride of Christ, we have a lot of work in front of us in ruling over cities and in, in judging the angels and judging the world. And and we're going to have a tremendous function as the queen in Isaiah in Proverbs forty five. I'm sorry, Psalm forty five. And then. Uh, when Scripture says, thus we shall always be with the Lord, I I believe that means thus we shall always be with the Lord. So that means we're following Him on white horses and we're conquering Armageddon and we're ruling in Jerusalem and we're sitting at the the great white throne and then we're uh, sitting in the heavenly Jerusalem for the new heavens and the new earth. And then at the very end, a thousand generations later, we're still working with Christ, serving, doing things, operating as the bride. Okay? And that particularly means we are teaching the angels. We're the demonstration of grace and in a greater grace they've ever seen before in, for a thousand generations on the new earth. And then yes, Jesus delivers the kingdom to God the Father. We have the omega moment. We cross into eternity at that point. But we're still the bride of Christ. Okay? We're still the bride of Christ. We will always be the bride of Christ. He's not going to dump us when we get old and get a younger bride. Okay? We are... <laughs> We are the bride of Christ. We will always be the bride of Christ. And that's, uh, that's a fun thing to look forward to there as well. Alright. right, let's. Um, if we've got a few minutes left, we can um, this is good though. I appreciate this. Giving me some uh, areas I need to fine-tune before I stand in front of 200 pastors in Houston and try to present some of these things. All right. We are talking about our callings, and we've had three developments. The first of which is under point A, Principles of Ministry Calling, and we gave you five of those. Won't repeat those, you've heard them several times. And then our second development, Illustrations of Ministry Calling, and we've gone through five of these Moses, Joshua, Timothy, David, Jesus, the Apostles. all of these illustrations of ministry calling um didn't really read all the Galatians material there but I think we're we're fine on this we then moved on to our third development the dangers and warnings of ministry calling and these are important to know but they shouldn't scare you away all right they shouldn't get you to to just be so apprehensive that that you want no part of it okay and that's uh I don't want to go through these warnings. I want to go through them appropriately so that you're admonished and so that you're you have an a, a, an appropriate fear of the Lord and appropriate reverence because it's an awesome responsibility to be in the ministry. I mean, seriously, he doesn't need us, but he uses us as his tools. That's an awesome responsibility. And and so I want I want us to to heed these warnings with with a, an appropriate level of, of reverence before God but I don't want us to be so intimidated that we just run for the hills. <laughs> okay, I don't want us to be, you know, uh, you're watching a, a, a pharmacy commercial and they, they talk about this drug and it seems great until the end when the lawyers start giving you all the side effects and all the terrible things about those drugs and then you go, yikes, no thank you go away, I, I never want to take those. Okay, You know what I'm talking about? And so they, they give you that list of things to be warned about and, and you just run. So I don't want any part of that. Okay? Well, that's not my purpose tonight or in this development. I want us to, to be appropriately fearful, but not terrified. And that's uh that's the aspect there. And so we talk about discrediting the ministry in 2 Corinthians 6 3. Don't discredit the ministry because you know that you can, you know that you you, uh, anybody can, you know. And, and you end up like Jimmy Swaggart or you, you end up a punchline for, for 50 years, right? They're still talking about him and, and his moral failures, as if, you know, he's the only pastor that's ever sinned. Sadly, though, uh, he sinned very spectacularly in, in a way that the, the media would, would promote and, uh, and with all the, the, the you know, salacious details and things. But in 2 Corinthians 6 it says giving no cause for offense in anything. And this is what we're supposed to do. Uh, It says in verse 1, we urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Not to receive the grace of God in vain. The grace that saved you, the grace that called you, the grace that gave you a gift, the grace that opened a door for ministry, don't throw that all away. And so it says giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. But in everything commending ourselves as servants of God. And see this is what it is. Now I cannot throw away my spiritual gift. I will be a pastor teacher forever because that's my spiritual gift. However, I can blow it and throw away my ministry. I can discredit my ministry. Do you understand the difference? And so with a discredited ministry, okay, and we have that in the, two pastors ago in the history of Boston Bible Church. This flock endured that. All right? And it's not to gossip, it's just to, to demonstrate. And this is a flock that's gone through that. And it's devastating. Absolutely devastating. And so, uh, you know, you blow up two marriages and you kill, you know, a bunch of kids go through turmoil and all kinds of horrible things that happen. And then a congregation just goes through it. Okay? And um, the aspects there. And so what happens? The man is still a pastor. He still has his spiritual gift, but he's lost his pulpit. He's lost his ministry. He's lost the respect of his deacons and his uh his flock and, and the believers that you know used to learn from him can't learn from him anymore. It's just it's a horrible thing. Um, you know, you try to <laughs> I don't, but you know, you, you go to the deacons and you try to convince them that this is all in the will of God and they say, no it's not. <laughs> okay? This is sin and this is wrong and, and you're not our pastor anymore. And, and that happens. Okay? So what does the Lord then do? Is He just a leper for the rest of His life? Is He an outcast, unclean, don't talk to me? No. See, it's it's a remarkable thing. I love the fact that uh, Pastor Glenn Carnegie brought him up to Tulsa and said, "Hey, can you teach some Greek to some young preacher students? You know, just find uh, find a way to serve, be useful, be continue to you know recover, continue to grow. Hey, spend a couple of years just sitting in a pew and listening to another pastor, and uh, and and then yeah, yeah, you can teach a Greek class, teach a Hebrew class, help us out with the seminary, different things there. It's a marvelous thing. All right." in any event. Discrediting the ministry, that's a danger and that's a warning. Secondly, placing self-interest over the interests of Christ Jesus. That's a big snare and that will be a disqualifier. And uh, Timothy is a great example of someone that did not do that. Always put the interest of the flock first, the interest of Christ Jesus first. Uh, entering the ministry hastily, that's a danger. 1 Timothy 5.22 Do not lay hands on a man too hastily. You will end up sharing that guilt. There will be consequences. That man's going to be hurt. His family's going to be hurt. His flock's going to be hurt. And who pushed him too soon? Who pushed him too fast? Okay? Entering into ministry haste, that's a danger and that's a warning. So two is uh, dragging your feet and not going in fast enough. <laughs> okay? So both sides, right? Too soon or too late. Making all the excuses. Well, I'll go with you, but first I've got to go bury my father. Or first, you know, I, I bought a piece of land. I've got to inspect this land. Or, you know, first I just want to go say goodbye to my friends. And you've got all these excuses and reasons why, you know, I want to serve you, Lord. It's just, you know, tomorrow. And, and when does tomorrow come? Okay? Because tomorrow's tomorrow. Well, and then there's the, the thoughts and the regrets of returning. Um, danger there in, uh, in that. Putting your hand to the plow and looking back. Not uh, worthy of the kingdom of heaven it says. So that's a warning sign. And that's if, if that's uh, something you think is going to be um, uh, a hazard then just know about it going, going forward. Okay? It's, uh, when, when Billy Sunday became an evangelist all his buddies thought he was out of his mind. Okay? Billy Sunday was one of the top uh, baseball players of his day. We're talking the early 1900s. Probably the fastest man ever to play baseball. And uh, if they'd had clocks back then and radar, they could have could have gauged his speed in that. But um and he had a sixteen thousand dollar a year contract with uh, the Chicago White Stockings or some some group. And and the um and he walked away from all that money because he got saved and he got called into ministry. And he started. he became uh he became uh, an evangelist and and uh created this thing with tent revivals and the sawdust trail and all kinds of Gimmicks and stuff that he did, but it was it was fruitful, and, and he, people were getting saved, and he was a famous baseball player that walked away from all that money. You think that's ever a, a temptation? Do you think it ever crosses your mind when you're, when you're struggling and you think, wow, you know, what did I what did I leave behind? You know, what did I make a smart choice? And you have those moments, okay? You got to just be aware of those, and don't let those trip you up, and don't think, don't be like Peter and say, well, okay, fine, I'm going fishing. You know? Because Jesus was dead and disappeared and He appeared a couple times and then He disappeared again and then, well, okay, let's just go fishing. You know, what are we going to do? So there's the regrets and the thoughts of returning. I never had those regrets in the the, uh, ministry, okay? I had a night or two in boot camp where I was wondering. (laughs) I had a night or two and I'm laying in the barracks in boot camp thinking, wow, you know? I'm in this big barracks. I'm in a room with 50 men, and everybody's all gross and smelly. And, and, oh, just, what am I doing here? You know, thinking back to the restaurant, there were 17 waitresses and me. (laughs) Yeah, the only waiter, the head waiter. (laughs) Made my own name tag. And so, yeah, then, you know, later you think back did I make the right choice? What am I doing here? What did I throw away? What am I leaving? Okay, can't do that in the ministry. Absolutely, can't do that in the ministry, because God has called you. Consider your calling, and uh, if you put your hand to the plow, don't look back. Don't go back. And you know, what happened to Lot's wife when she looked back? Okay. Another warning: hypocritical disqualification. Hypocritical disqualification. First Corinthians nine verses twenty-five through twenty-seven. Hypocritical disqualification. Verse 24 says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Think of the ministry as a race. And uh, until you're face-to-face with Jesus Christ, you're still racing. You're still in the midst of the competition. Don't, uh, you know, you see these pictures of racers that thought they had it in the bag, so they start to ease up a little bit, and then they trip, and then, you know, they get passed by five other racers, and they end up coming in last when they thought they were going to come in first. Okay? Verse 25, Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. There are rules, there are expectations. You can't cheat. All right? Just, uh, you know, here we are in the Lance Armstrong territory, right? Of Austin, Texas. And what, what, uh, what about his great achievements and all the Tour de France's Tours to France or whatever. All those bicycle races. And he was doping the whole time. You know, absolutely doping and cheating everything the whole time. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. It's not purposeless. You're not just drifting and hoping it works out for the best. You've got a plan. And you might change that plan a thousand times, but at least you've got a plan. You're following the Father's plan. And uh, There it is. I box in such a way as not beating the air. The purpose in boxing is to punch the opponent. That was another boot camp experience I didn't do too well with. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I myself will not be disqualified. It's it's embarrassing. It's convicting. It's embarrassing. You know, when, when you have to confess a sin, and not only do you have to confess a sin; you got to do First John one nine, and you got to confess the sin. And so you tell the Father, Father, you know, I did such and such. Okay, and and you know for a fact that that sin you're confessing is something you preached about. <laughs> okay, so what do you do? You confess and you move forward. But the idea of being disqualified, the idea of a failure—that yes, you confess, and yes, you're back in fellowship, but no, your ministry is done. That's uh, that's uh, that's not good. Okay, it's like at the swim meet when you dive off the starting block too soon and the thing goes, meow, 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 you know, and you're disqualified. And then you they, they give you one do over, and then then your second one, you, you you're you're disqualified. You're out. I don't care how fast a swimmer you are, you're disqualified. You've got no recorded time, no recorded score, no recorded place. It's just a DQ on the timesheet, and you're done. And we don't want to do that. That hypocritical disqualification. It's a danger that the scriptures warn us about. How about loving this present age? I think that one goes tandem with number four. Maybe not always, but a lot of times. Loving this present age. And this is Demas, of course. Second Timothy 4.10. And what's the most unusual thing about Demas is the Bible normally keeps a lot of these guys anonymous, right? We don't know who the man of incest was from Corinth. And, and we don't know a lot of other failures, a lot of other... But, but this one we do know, Demas. We know him by name, okay? And I expect every Demas we meet in heaven, we're going to be asking, were you that Demas, you know? You know? And uh, probably a lot of them are going to have nicknames like Demas, not that one, okay? Like Judas, not Iscariot, right? I'm Judas, the other Judas, the not Iscariot Judas. I think a lot of these Demases in heaven are probably going to have something similar. But, but here's Demas. Verse 9 says, "...make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved the present world," we're told not to love this world, or the things of this world, "...has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica." And we don't know, I mean, it wasn't, didn't have a reputation as a big party town, it wasn't Corinth by any stretch, but whatever attraction there was, if probably a girl or something, who knows, there was something in Thessalonica that had Demas' attention. And loving this world, that's where he went, and he lost his ministry in that regard. Crescens has gone to Galatia; Titus to Dalmatia. We, we presume that those those other two went for right reasons, for legitimate reasons. But even when they leave for right reasons, the the fact is they're still gone. Okay, if you leave a church for the right reasons, that's great, but you're still gone. You leave for the wrong reasons, that's terrible. But even when you're leaving for the right reasons, you know I can't. I can't use B3 in the pulpit, <laughs> okay? Well, there it is. So what do we do? No, well, Use other people in the pulpit. Move forward, okay? We got Lewis, we got Bill, we got other people. All right. Only Lucas with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Aha! We've lost some, so let's go get somebody new. Hey, how about Mark? You know, we got a past where Mark was kind of a, a traitor, but you know what? Things have changed. He's useful these days. Bring him back. Get him back on board. It's a positive step. I'm glad we have that verse, and not just the the ugliness that we read about in uh, the book of Acts, Acts 15. Okay? All right. But loving this present age, if you love this present age, and it causes you to leave the ministry, and then not finishing the course, um, and this is too many verses to read tonight, but Paul kept hammering again and again, I have finished the course. I have fought the good fight, okay? And then he kept urging Timothy, you do the same thing. You finish your course. You fight your good fight. So we'll deal with that. Not finishing the course. You know, do you, do you rest on your laurels? Do you get all excited about whatever? You know, do you brag about what you've done? I've done all these things for you, Lord. I'm so great. You know, no. You forget what lies behind. You consider that you haven't done a thing yet, and you, uh, you, you preach your next message as if it's your first. Okay, Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. You don't assume that you've laid hold of that for which also you were laid hold of by Christ Jesus. How sad is that? We get content and we think, yeah, you know, wow, 5,000 sermons, that must be a lot. Well no, I prepared 20,000 for you before the foundation of the world. You're not even a fourth of the way through. Or whatever the case may be. So we'll pick up on this Sunday morning, Lord willing, and rapture pending. Father I thank You for tonight and I thank You for all all these questions. I pray that we would have more questions and more answers and understand the questions so we can give accurate answers. And and Father help us to understand uh, what we have to look forward to both in time and in eternity. And Father uh, help us to rightly divide the word of truth and appreciate all the more the blessings and thrill that it is to be the bride of Christ. There has never been anything like it. There will never again be anything like it. The bride of Christ is so unique. So I thank you for it, Father. We are baptized into union with Jesus Christ. We are made one with the heir of all things. So Father, uh, just thank you for being so awesome. I thank you and I praise you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.